Hello, everyone. This is Father Bill Nicholas, and this is Faith, Hope, and History. Greetings and welcome, everybody. It is Friday, May 28th, 2021. A lot happened on this day in history. Going backwards, uh, St. Maximilian Kolb and 320 other prisoners were transferred to the Nazi concentration camp at Auschwitz on this day in 1941. In 1937, President Franklin D. Roosevelt pushed a button in Washington signaling that vehicular traffic could cross the Golden Gate Bridge open the previous day in San Francisco, California. In 1892, the Sierra Club was organized here in San Francisco, and in 1888, track star Jim Thorpe was born in Prague, Oklahoma. Back in 1788, the Federalist Papers, written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay, were issued to the people of New York in defense of the ratification of the United States Constitution. But way back in 1533, England's Archbishop, declared the marriage of King Henry VIII to Anne Boleyn valid. So obviously, that was not a Catholic bishop, and that was a result of the breakaway of King Henry VIII from Rome and forming the Church of England, which granted him his annulment of his first wife and validated the marriage to his second wife. And that event on this day got me thinking of history, and especially where the Catholic Church has participated in history, and it sometimes has been the center of it, especially in the development of Western civilization. Today, Friday, May 28th, is the feast day of my patron saint, Saint William of Jalone, who was the son of the Count of Toulouse and attended the court of Charlemagne, which is interesting. Here's a saint, William of Jalone, a nobleman, a knight, who had encounters with King Charlemagne, had associations with Charlemagne, and it was Charlemagne who made William the Duke of Aquitaine and sent him to head an expedition against Muslim forces in their efforts to invade from Spain across the Pyrenees into France, and in many cases, William defeated them. He was regarded as an exemplar of all that was ideal in the Christian knight and everything that a Christian knight should be. And while he was Duke of Aquitaine, he established a monastery in Jalon, in the uh, southeast part of France, just a little south of Marseille. And it was there he eventually retired and received Charlemagne's permission to become a Benedictine monk at Jalon. And it was there he died on May 28th. He's the hero of several medieval romances, and he was canonized in 1066, around the time William the Conqueror invaded and conquered England. And one of his descendants, he was a married man, made provisions for his wife, and his son took over the role of Duke of Aquitaine when William entered the monastery. But one of his descendants was Eleanor of Aquitaine, who eventually married King Henry II, the king who assassinated Thomas Becket, and was the father, and Eleanor of Aquitaine, the mother of two kings of England, King Richard the Lionheart and King John. And so, 
this is the feast day of a saint who had a great encounter and a great presence in history and with many historical figures and was a descendant as Duke of Aquitaine of very important historical figures. And he is seen as the model of Christian knighthood. If you ever read The Death of Arthur by Sir Thomas Mallory, in the end, Lancelot is reconciled to Arthur, and after Arthur's death, Lancelot casts off his armor and enters a monastery. That was modeled after St. William of Jalone, who I'm happy to say is my own patron saint, and who has an important role in the history of the region of Aquitaine and had encounters and associations with important individuals such as King Charlemagne of France. So we see that the Catholic Church is not just this institution that people revere or people participate in and some people oppose and deeply resent. This is an institution that has had a great presence and great involvement in history. And Many of the saints aren't just holy people who wallowed in their holiness. Many saints had what I like to call collisions with history, encounters and associations with historical figures, and in some cases influenced history itself. And that's something to remember because also this week, yesterday and on Tuesday, we remember the feasts of two important saints not just in general history, but in English history. On Tuesday, May 25th, we celebrated the Feast of St. Bede the Venerable. And just yesterday, on Thursday, May 27th, the Catholic Church remembered the Feast of St. Augustine of Canterbury. Both of those very important figures in the history of England and the Catholic Church in England and one of them is considered the father of English history, and that is St. Bede the Venerable, patron saint of historians. Both of them were relatively you know, contemporary. Augustine of Canterbury was a Roman and prior of St. Andrew's Monastery in Rome. And he was sent with about 40 of his monks by Pope St. Gregory the Great to bring the Catholic faith to the English in 596. And although the group desired to turn back because they were worried about the violence of the Celtic uh, people, Gregory refused them permission to return and they landed on the Isle of Thanet in England in 597. So this is early on in Christian European history. They were, however, favorably received by King Ethelbert of Kent. His name's a mouthful. King Ethelbert of Kent. And the king was baptized the year of their arrival. So that is a coup of St. Augustine of Canterbury. He baptized the King of Kent, King Ethelbert of Kent. Augustine then went to France to be consecrated bishop, and on his return, he was very successful in converting the people of Britain. He built a church and a Benedictine monastery at Canterbury on land given to him by the king, that eventually grew to be the great shrine of Canterbury that is so revered and honored uh, today. He spent his life working in Kent and established sees or dioceses at London and Rochester and Canterbury, and he eventually died 
on May 26th in the year 604. He's the first Archbishop of Canterbury and the Apostle of the English. And he's a very important figure because we see his presence and his influence on the church in England and the very strong relationship that the English church had with Rome because it was the Pope who personally sent an envoy to bring the faith to England. And not only that, roughly the same century, not quite a hundred years after Augustine of Canterbury, St. Bede the Venerable was born near St. Peter and St. Paul Monastery at Wearmouth Jarrow, England, and he was sent there when three years of age to be educated by the abbots. He became a monk at the monastery and was ordained at the age of 30, and except for a few brief visits elsewhere, he spent all of his life in the monastery, devoting himself to the study of scripture and to teaching and writing. And he's considered one of the most learned men of his time and a major influence on English literature. His writings are a summary of the learning of his time and include commentaries on the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and various other books of the scriptures. Also, commentaries on theological and scientific treatises, biographies, and historical works. And he's best known for his work that is referred to as Historia Ecclesiastica, a history of the English church and people, which he completed in 731 AD. It's an account of Christianity in England up to 729 and is a primary source of early English history. Because of the orthodoxy of his theological teaching, he was known as the venerable within his lifetime, but because of his writings in history, he is considered the father of English history. And, of course, a patron saint of historians and history. He was a very careful scholar, and he was the first to make use, or wide use, of the date system we know as Anno Domini, A.D., and in 1899, he was declared the only English doctor of the church. He died at his monastery on May 25th in 735. So why are these two men important, Augustine of Canterbury and St. Bede the Venerable? They are important because of the importance of history. And remember, this podcast is called Faith, Hope, and History. And we see these two figures who are important figures of history, St. Bede as a historian, a chronicler, and the father of English history, and St. Augustine of Canterbury as the first Archbishop of Canterbury, who brought a real presence of the Catholic faith to England, and as I mentioned earlier, he, he baptized the King of Kent. And what we see is this ongoing story of the church and the Christian faith in England. It's had its ups and its downs. There are a number of saints that have come out of England, including uh, St. Thomas Becket, who was assassinated on the orders, if not the suggestion, of uh, King Henry II. We have Thomas More, who was beheaded by his king, Henry VIII, and I always like to say of those two, kings of England named Henry do not mix well with former chancellors named Thomas. And we have, of course, the story of the, the break between England and Rome in 1532, 
in the midst of the Protestant Reformation and the efforts of the church to reform. And for just a little under 500 years, there has been that separation between the Church of England and the Catholic Church. In the Church of England, the reigning monarch is the supreme head of the church in England. The prelate of the Church of England has been the Archbishop of Canterbury. And as in all cases, we pray for reunification between the English Church and the Catholic Church and basically all churches throughout the world. But there has also been a glimmer of hope in that development over the last few years. In 2009, Pope Benedict XVI, with the assistance of Cardinal Archbishop William Levada, developed a constitution that allows for a number of Anglican and Episcopalian Christians to return to the Catholic Church. And that includes bishops, a number of priests, and a great many lay people within the Anglican and Episcopalian faiths of Great Britain, the United States and Canada, and Australia. And in that process, three ordinariates, which is another word for a diocese for all intents and purposes, were formed. One in England, one in the United States and Canada, and one in Australia. The one in England is called the Ordinariate of Our Lady of Walsingham. In Australia, the Ordinariate of the Southern Cross. And in the United States and Canada, it is the Personal Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter. Each of them were originally led by ordinaries who were bishops in the Anglican Church, but because they were married priests, were ineligible to be bishops when they became Catholic, but they received the highest level of Monsignor, the Protonotary Apostolic, in the Catholic Church and remained ordinaries of those ordinariates. But in 2015, the ordinary, the head of the ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter, Jeffrey Steenson, retired, and Pope Francis thought it a good opportunity to select the first bishop of these Anglican ordinariates in the Catholic Church. And in 2015, on February 2nd, the Feast of the Presentation of Jesus in the Temple, the first bishop of his kind, Bishop Stephen Lopes, was ordained the bishop of the Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter, which covers the Anglican Catholic Churches in Canada and the United States. And this was pretty much overlooked where current events are concerned, but was an important day because Bishop Lopes is the first bishop of his kind, a bishop who is a shepherd of these Anglican and Episcopalian Christians who have returned from their Anglican and Episcopalian communities to the Catholic Church and are in communion with us as Catholics and have been since 2009. Just shy of 500 years after King Henry VIII broke away from the Catholic Church. I had the pleasure of being at Bishop Lopes' ordination and consecration as a bishop and formally commissioned as the leader of the ordinariate here in the United States and Canada. But moments like that are not to be ignored or overlooked because in the grand history of the church and especially in the history of Rome with the Church of England, this is a major development for reconciliation and reunification 
between the Anglicans and Catholics. Of course, the Church of England did not return to the Catholic Church. The Archbishop of Canterbury and many Anglicans in England and the United States did not return. But we are seeing those steps toward people who had broken away or traditionally were broken away from the Catholic Church returning. And so, on this week when we remember two very important English saints, we remember the importance of the presence of the Church in England and the relationship, that special connection, the English Church had with Rome because of the envoy sent by Pope St. Gregory the Great in Augustine of Canterbury and his fellow monks who brought that faith to England. And we pray that more and more will return to full communion with the Catholic Church, and we will see the rift that was brought about at a time of great reformation and the rise of Protestantism be healed among Christians throughout the world. And so those are just my thoughts on this feast day of William of Jalone, who had collisions with history and France and the leadership of his time, but also of two saints we celebrated this week and their collisions with history and their influence that is still being felt and whose example we hope to emulate in what made them the great saints that they are. One who reminds us of the importance of history and in knowing our history so that we don't just learn from our mistakes, but we truly come to appreciate who we are and where we have come. And St. Augustine of Canterbury, the father of the church in England, praying always for healing of that rift between the church in England and the church in Rome. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me. And with any luck, I will talk to you again soon.